Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. And welcome to episode 12 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And I'm excited to share with you this next letter from a woman who has been struggling with how to approach people who are still in a place of dealing with food in a way that's toxic to her and to many other people. And before we get to the letter, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you today by Birdhouse Nutrition Therapy. It's Greensboro's premier source of eating disorder nutrition therapy. And we guarantee that anytime a person is in our office, that it will be free of any diets or body toxic type of conversations. It will always be a place that you can feel safe and secure and help to reconnect to a healthier relationship with food. So today's letter writer has done work for many years on helping her relationship with food. And many people in her life also have found peace with food and body and exercise and have started to also experience a more body positive way of relating. Yet there's a few people in this letter writer's life who are not on the same page. And there's also just people that she encounters because all of us are going to encounter people who are still dieting or counting something or wearing a Fitbit. I feel like we're counting the wrong thing. Instead of counting grams of fat or calories or carbs, we really need to be counting grams of compassion. So... Let's hear what this letter writer has to say and get to some solutions for her. Dear Food, for the past three years, I've been working with a counselor to overcome the tendencies toward disordered eating and body image. And recently, I'm in a really great space with it. I realized that the root of my disordered eating was avoidance and distraction from other issues in my life. I'm 35 years old now, and the first time I can remember having body image issues was at age five. And the first time I tried to put myself on a diet was at age eight. Suffice it to say, the last three years have been a lot of work, and I expect doing more work to maintain my positive body image and a healthy relationship with food and exercise in the future. But I feel great about where I am now. When disordered thinking around food or exercise come up, I can use them as an indicator to explore what is actually going on in my intellectual or emotional life. I know I've inherited this relationship with food and body from my family. My mom is now finally at peace with her fat body, 
which I really respect. And it seems like my one brother is also now in a good place with food, exercise, and his body. But my dad was visiting recently. And one of the first things he told me was how much he weighs right now and how much he weighed when he was a bicycle racer in his prime 40 years ago. It's not really a large amount of weight gain, but it seems like he needed to confess it to me. I also noticed the same behavior in my other brother, who I just recently reconnected with after not talking to him for a long time. And I've noticed this behavior with so many other adult friends in my life. A friend came to stay for the weekend, and the first thing she told me after hello was that she's on a diet. For me, being around this sort of constant talk about weight and diet and exercise regimen feels more than just annoying. I really truly have compassion for those who struggle, but it actually feels kind of dangerous for me. I've worked so hard to really shift my thinking about my body and what purpose food and exercise serve. And I'm scared that the fixation of some people around me on food and weight could trigger me to backslide and start dieting or exercising compulsively, then binging again. So I don't know what to do in such a weight-obsessed culture when I'm trying to continue my progress. I don't feel comfortable sharing my story with everyone who tells me about their diet or weight issues. And I don't know how to tell them that I don't want to hear it without going into the specifics of why I think this talk is so toxic for me. So food, do you have any tips for how to navigate a weight-obsessed culture while still maintaining my dignity and relationships with people I love, with whom I don't want to share this part of my story? Any advice you have would be very welcomed. Yours truly, body positive gal in a body anxious world. Hi there, body positive gal. Thank you so much for your letter. And I hear you. I totally hear you. And I get what you're saying. You know, and how tough for you. You have worked for years to heal your relationship with food. You've dug deep, you've probably got really messy with it. And you got to a place finally where you have firm footing that the way you eat and exercise all is health promoting. Yet you're watching everyone around you do the very things that were so toxic and harmful to you. That must be exhausting. And you know, I don't know if everyone can appreciate how toxic dieting and body um, body hate kind of discussions can be for those who are recovering from disordered eating. But in order to help people understand, I want to share um, something with you. And I've talked before on this podcast about my um, nutrition therapy practice. It's called Birdhouse Nutrition Therapy. And many people wonder why I call it Birdhouse. And I wanted to share with you why I chose that name. So there's two reasons. The The first reason is when I was in high school, um, I really was into punk rock, goofy music, <laughs> really high energy stuff. And I was in love with this band called They Might Be Giants. Most of you listening probably have never heard of them. But if you have, hey, shout out to you, (laughs) fellow uh, 1980s, 90s friends out there. Uh, But they had this one song called Keep the Nightlight On, The Birdhouse of Your Soul. 
And when I was listening to all this punk music and being goofy, I also was in this place of depression and anxiety. It was something I, I pretty much felt 24-7 from middle school through, um, through college. And so this song was one that was like a, a personal battle cry to, to kind of hang in there. And um, Birdhouse for Your Soul is um, very hopeful and, you know, it could has lots of meanings because the way that this band writes is sometimes it could be really deep and other times it's just downright goofy. But what I made of it was that it was my way to stay hopeful and just hang in there and that things would get better. And they did. Um, so the other reason I call it Birdhouse Nutrition Therapy is that in the eating disorder world, we have... Um, we use a lot of metaphors. And one of them is the metaphor of the canary in the coal mine. So before we had really complex uh, equipment for people who are coal miners, um, coal miners used to bring down canaries um, deep down as they were doing their work. And what the canaries were there for were to let the uh, coal miners know if the toxic gases within these mines were getting to a point that was harmful. Unfortunately for these canaries, the way that the coal miners knew that the toxic gases were getting to be too um, too toxic was when the canaries stopped singing and they would die. So if the canary stopped singing and died, the coal miners would get out of there really fast. So basically these canaries alerted the coal miners of an environment that was too toxic before it became too toxic for them. And um, I think of the world is the same way with dieting and bad body thoughts. Um, you know, those of us who work in the eating disorder world like this analogy because diets and overexercise, those are things that are harmful for all of us. And there are some people that it's going to hurt before everyone else, yet we are all at risk for this toxic environment. So body positive gal, I think you're a canary. I think you stop singing before the rest of us. Yet we are all suffering from diet and bad body thoughts over exercise. We can all find a way to make peace with food and it can help us all experience health. Yet how are we going to like help you navigate this world as they catch up to you? So this is actually a really complex question, and I want to call a colleague of mine. Her name is Pam Kelly. She's a dietitian and eating disorder specialist out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she's someone that I admire. She her work has um, really inspired inspired me in many ways. I've heard her speak many times at conferences, and I always just think, "Wow, she is just so insightful." And um, luckily, over the last few years, I've gotten to see her and talk to her at conferences and get to know her personally. And I'm going to give her a call because I think um, she is going to have much more insight than I will. And I am just dying to hear what she has to say. Hello, this is Pam Kelly. Hi, Pam. This is Julie Dillon. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. It's a beautiful day down here in the south in Tennessee. Oh, it is beautiful. I am too. I'm over in Greensboro, probably just like uh, lateral from you. But I'm unfortunately, I'm allergic to Greensboro right now. I don't know oh. about you guys. Do you have major like pollen and everything going on? 
We do. We yeah. absolutely do. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. We're so excited that the time has changed. We can be outside beautiful weather. And yet at the same time, for some of us, it, it we suffer for that. Yeah, I'm still enjoying it. I'm just abusing all of my like food allergy or not food allergy, all of right. my allergy medication. But um, yeah, I'm so glad that you're here to talk to us about this letter from Body Positive Gal. And I told our listeners how I really admire your work. And I think this is a really complicated, but also a very common situation that clients will experience as they do like work toward a healthier relationship with food. Um, did you get a chance to read the letter? I did read the letter. And awesome. and you, I agree with you, Julie. I think that this is a common theme with our, our clients that are in the recovery process or even, even those who are just struggling to maintain their own identity with food without being constantly having to defend the non-diet approach and defend the idea of, you know, living a life without numbers and calorie counting, et cetera. Yeah. You know, you use that word defend and I didn't even think about it initially in that way, but that's the part that I think probably gets so exhausting for our clients. And for us too, is we're having to constantly defend not fighting our body or defend not having to go on a diet or to weigh ourselves. And um, so that, that word has a lot of meaning and it, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No wonder she's so exhausted. I, I think so too. So one thing I'd, I'd like for her to consider, and I think your listeners might appreciate this, is the idea that life is this, this amazing journey that we're on. And like anything in life, there's, there's full of lightness and, and darkness and beauty and those around us that could be toxic or troublesome to us. And I think there's so many lessons for us to gain from that, that that the struggles, you know, with her father throwing numbers out there and her brother and a friend who's going on a diet is to think, ah, there you are. There you are. The toxic voice, the challenge that's put in front of me and how important it is to recognize that and, and kind of lean into it instead of feeling like you have to defend it and fight it because that's there, you know, mm -hmm. that's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I think it's important. She doesn't have to defend it all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And really just noticing it and recognize it for what it is. Right. And there's, there's another thing that that she could do too. And that is, look at everyone, as much as possible, everyone that she comes in contact with, who is weighing themselves, who is on a diet, who isn't happy with their weight, who uses that terrible F word fat, you know, to just observe those with a sense of compassion for them and think, oh, oh, I'm sorry you find yourself trapped in that world. I used to live there too, but I don't live there anymore. And when you put compassion towards it, it makes it much easier to not feel like you have to defend where you are, but just be grateful mm. that you're not where they are, you know, and that you don't have to let other people's decisions affect your recovery path. Yeah, yeah. And so that that way of responding with compassion, I'm appreciating it as probably of a more internal dialogue that you're describing. It is an internal dialogue. And one thing the listeners could, could do is uh, the word compassion right now is, is sort of being thrown around sort of similarly as mindfulness was 
was introduced to us several years ago. I'm sure everyone would agree, mindful, 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 mindful. <laughs> now it's compassion, compassion, compassion. But the difference with that is, you're so right, Julie, it's an internal dialogue that we have with ourselves. And, and if I could explain a little bit about how self-compassion can be used on others is, you know, she speaks of her father, for instance. And I think most of us, if we're lucky, have a relationship with our fathers on some level, and if not our father, then some significant other, where there's a, a sense of safety and respect and, um, I don't know, uh, continuity of care that comes from that. And, and when you sit quietly, you can actually kind of bring up what those feelings would be like. I know I can do it with my own dad, um, and she could probably do it with hers, with the things she loves and respects about him, and let that feeling kind of well up inside her. That piece of compassion rises to the surface when you identify a loving or warmth that you feel towards any other human being. So she could do it with her father, just by herself, just quietly sort of meditating on that so that the next time she sees him, she can tap into that feeling instead of, you know, either worrying about him dieting or feeling like she needs to defend her position or worrying that she might get back into dieting behavior. She could do the same thing with the, her friend who came to visit her. And I think she mentioned it was, hello, I'm on a diet. That happens to all of us. We all have friends that are doing that. And, and there's that self-defense mechanism, that defend word again, comes in where we feel like, oh, another person dieting. But instead, look at that friend and think, you know, I've known you for this number of years, and, and this is what I love about you. And your friendship brings this welling of kind of loving kindness up that she can meditate on that. So when she sees her, she can, ah, there you are, my my loving friend. And, and sort of, in some ways, um, demonstrate herself what it feels like for her to not be dieting, not be weighing, not doing those things, you know, and without judging a friend, just sort of kind of owning her own space with that. And that sense of compassion wells up to the surface and it's easier to think, oh, to yourself, oh, I'm, it's too bad you're you're weighing yourself or you find yourself on this journey. Let, mm -hmm. Let's let's talk about the parts of life that that are not involved in the diet speak and the toxic social push to be a certain size. And it does well up in all of us, I think, when we start undieting ourselves. Yeah, and it you know this letter writer obviously has done a lot of work to move away from dieting mm -hmm. and. When you talk about focusing on the compassion and the 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 experiences, the feelings that are associated with these loved ones, um, it it sounds like something that for this letter writer to do is to practice more meditation, focusing on the relationships and the the parts of the relationships that make them so special. So then, when they do encounter these conversations again, they can reconnect to to that special part. Is that what you're? That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. Using meditation on, on loving kindness and compassion. That's exactly right. You know, there's an old saying that um, we can like the music without liking every song on the album. Mm. 
And I think that that's true with the people that we see. If there's something about them that seems toxic, it, it is that mirror of what we want to be away from, what we don't want in our life anymore. And it's just, oh, so much information is there for her. Of Like, oh, I see. I see you. I see the pull of that, of that diet, of that self-criticism. And I'm so glad I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. It takes practice, Julie. Yeah. Every day, I think meditation and deep breathing and kind of, and it is mindfulness, getting yourself grounded in your own journey makes it so much easier to deal with other people's stuff without attaching to it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm wondering, do you ever, would you ever think it'd be appropriate for her to verbalize anything to these um, people that that she loves and maybe even people that she has very um, few opportunities to interact with? You know, are there anything, anything that you would say that people could say in those moments where they're like, uh, you know, you're crossing a boundary right now? (laughs) Um, Well, she has a, she does have a right to defend her her thoughts and feelings in her recovery. She has a right to do that. And, and, and sometimes we do have to step up and speak our truth. But I always suggest to my clients that they sort of predict what would that be like if in fact they did speak to the person and what would the outcome be that they would expect? You know, just sort of predict the whole conversation. And what would they like, what would they like to see happen? So take her girlfriend, for instance, if she talked to her and just asked her permission first, would it be okay if I told you an experience that I've had recently with discussions about size and weight and how it triggers me? Would that be okay? It's always a good idea to ask permission. And most of us, especially friends and loved ones, would be, oh, yes, please, please talk to me about it. So it puts them, you know, not in a defensive mode of you telling them what they've done to you, but instead asking them for permission to express your own heart and your own feeling. And, you know, in that realm, over a cup of tea or a glass of wine, whatever the case may be, you know, in in a very loving way, you could tell the story about how it feels when people say things about size and dieting. and, And her friend would probably have no idea she had that impact and would probably be happy to change the subject. But again, the prediction needs to be there. You know the way most people respond if they feel cornered or they feel judged. They come back out fighting. So you want to make sure you don't put, put them on the defensive. Same thing with her dad. If her dad's always been the same way, always been dieting and thinking about whether he's going to you know, lose weight, gain weight, exercise more, be on another race, It might be that's just the way he is. God love him. And that approaching him might not solve anything. And in that case, she has to just kind of practice her space, you know, her her area of um, recovery and her respect and know that it it doesn't matter whether he understands or not. So I, I do think the work there is predicting the outcome. What would you expect to have happen? What do you want to have happen? And would it be worth it if, in fact, the outcome was you ended up hurting somebody else? Because it shouldn't affect the recovery journey. That that recovery journey is solid, it's private, and it's yours. Whether anybody else 
understands it or not. Right. Yeah. Well, so the way you're describing this, it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. It needs to be thought about and not just some kind of quick one liner that she could say to like put people in their place. And especially if we're thinking in a place of like compassion and respect, a one liner is just not going to do it justice. It's not. Yeah. It's not. Because, you know, that uh, that feel felt found, you know, when you mm-hmm. say this, I feel this way and this is what I find that usually the guards come up all the way around like, yikes, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. you, it's, it's human reaction to try to defend yourself from every perspective. So um, I think, again, it goes back to stepping back and seeing what what it feels like to you. I mean, she's worked so hard on her recovery. She's in a good place. You know, to just continue to work on that, that self-love and that acceptance of herself and knows that, you know, she might always be triggered by things that that might be, you know, stuck to the bottom of her shoe, that that's part of her recovery, that she watches out for that. You know, she Mm -hmm. just watches out for it. Right. Yeah. And I like how you said earlier, you know, whenever those things happened to notice it and just say, oh, there you are. There, there it is. Um, Yeah, there it is. And hello, you know, (laughs) what are you doing here now? (laughs) I have a chair in my office, Julie. I'm looking at it right now. And my clients will tell you, I do this quite a bit. I'll pull the chair up kind of in the middle between the two of us. And I'll say, you know, those thoughts you just express are sitting right here. They're in the chair. It's right here. So um, sometimes you really do have to let some of those thoughts that rise up that kind of scare us or, or do feel toxic to tell it to just sit down and have a seat. We know it's there. It's there. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. there. Just sit down. We don't have to react and attach to it. So mm-hmm. and I, like you said earlier, it's that quiet place of meditation and deep breathing and ownership of self that I think is is incredibly helpful in dealing with other people. Nobody can rock your world if you don't want them to. Mm, that is so powerful. I think you have helped this letter writer tremendously. I mean, you've given her so much insight. Is there any um, anything you'd like to add to the food peace syllabus? On, on this show, we have this list of books and resources that can further help someone's relationship with food. And I'm wondering, do you have anything you'd like to add to it? Oh, I've got a couple of authors I really, really like. And I think many of your listeners will know the name Brene Brown. Yes. She's written several books. That's Brene Brown, PhD. But I really love her book, Daring Greatly. Um, That's one of her newer ones. And she has another one called Rising Strong. Either of those two are absolutely wonderful books to read. Um, on self-acceptance and those gifts of imperfections and vulnerabilities that we all have, Julie. Mm -hmm. And then on compassion, um, there's so much information out there, but there's a great book called The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, and it's it's written by Chris Germer. Um, And the readers could easily find that, but I'll I'll send you a couple of links to his work. So digging into self-compassion and then learning to own our own vulnerabilities, help the recovery path and help all of us live a non-diet life. Fabulous. You know what I'll do is I'll put everything in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and wants access to these, they can just go on there right now and get links to them. And Pam, you are fabulous. You know, I love you. If someone would like to hear more or to read more about your work, where can they find you? 
I've got a great website that's called Your own foodcoach.com. Mm-hmm. So that's a great way to catch me. I do virtual sessions that they can link to from that site and some information about me. So I, I love you too, Julie. I love <laughs> what you're doing. It's a great program. I'm hope I'm glad your listeners have a chance to hear what food has to say. Yes, I I am too. I mean, food has missed everyone and it's time to reconnect. And I'm so glad we got to connect today. Yes. I'll be sure to put your website on the show notes too. And thank you so much for your time, Pam. I enjoyed it very much, Julie. Have a great day. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you so much, Pam, for your wise input on body positive gals, experiences with food and relating to other people. And Honestly, as I was listening to Pam, I thought, wow, those are really good suggestions because as a non-diet dietitian and healthcare provider, I do find myself defending my relationship with food and my way of practicing nutrition. It does get tiring. So I also am going to start practicing uh, meditating on a more compassionate connection that they have with people that I usually end up (laughs) either staring down or giving them some kind of um, cold shoulder. Yeah, I'm going to practice compassion too. So body positive gal, I'm going to be practicing with you. And I seriously, every time I talk to Pam, I feel like she is so insightful. And something that she's bringing up is that, you know, nutrition, as most of us are taught, and especially those of us who are trained in nutrition, as in we dietitians, We're taught about the numbers and physiology. And this is why those of us who work in the eating disorder field are against things like the Fitbit. You know, we don't need something that's calculating calories or fat grams or carbs. We need something that's calculating compassion. And of course, we can't calculate that. So I hope, Body Positive Gal, that you have gathered some insight for you, some things that connect with what you're looking to do. And I see that food has written you back. So I'm going to let food take over. Until then, take care. Dear Body Positive Gal, you don't have to defend your recovery and body positivity to your family and friends. That is just too much weight for you to bear. Rather, meditate on the special strengths each relationship brings When these loved ones bring to light their complicated relationship with food, connect with that special strength. When the world reminds you of its body-hating toxicity, say hello to it. Compassionately, welcome it to sit beside you. Leaning in and connecting to this will energize you to move forward. Love Food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your Dear Food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Love Food series. Have you enjoyed the show, or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at eatingpermitrd. Take care.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.